The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2014, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This recording was from Friday, May 9th. Private Tasting Salon, IPA Nation, how breweries are helping beer drinkers navigate a sea of IPAs. Featuring John Mallett from Bell's Brewery, Dan Canary from Harpoon Brewery, Ron Lindenbush of Lagunitas Brewing Company, and Omar Ansari from Surly Brewing Company. All right, everybody. If, if we don't get started pretty soon, we'll be here all night, and the show will be closed before we get done. So I want to get started on things. The first thing I need to tell you, because we need to start pouring beers right away. Are we good with that? We will make sure you get cups. But you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to share some table space out here. It's going to be a little crowded because unlike some of these where we're pouring one beer slowly at a time and talking about it, you're going to get four beers at once. And, you know, those four beers have to have some room out here so you can compare, contrast, and enjoy all of them. Um, just to make sure that nobody's in the wrong room, this is Welcome to IPA Nation. Um, the final salon of the first night of Sabre. My name's Steve Broad. I'm the brewmaster for Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence, Kansas, and I'll be sort of the host introducer. I don't have much to say that's important, but I have a lot of housekeeping to do, so bear with me for a minute. Saver, which is now in its seventh year and well-established as one of America's premier beer and food events, is brought to you by the Brewers Association. The National Nonprofit Trade Association representing small and independent craft brewers. I serve on the board of directors for the Brewers Association and also serve as chair of the events committee, which assists in the production of Saver and of the Great American Beer Festival, another of America's premier beer events held in Denver, Colorado in early October. The BA also publishes craftbeer.com, which is your best source of information about these events and about other things in the wider world of American craft beer. Uh, I want to thank our room sponsor, Spiegel Al, the class in glass. Um, something that we all really get into these days is the, uh, you know, the ability that gla- a good glass has to make your experience with beer that much better, and Spiegel Al helps us out with that a great deal. Um, like I said, we're going to have four beers coming out tonight. Uh, uh, please kind of get your beers collected, and we'll introduce them as we go. Questions will be answered. You know, you guys are going to ask questions when you want to ask questions, and uh, we'll answer them when, you, when they want to answer them. Um, if you miss something tonight, uh, all the Saver Salons are being recorded by craftbeerradio.com, giving you the opportunity to hear it all again. Um, when the opportunity for questions comes up, you know, I was going to say, let me bring you a microphone, but that never works. So uh, we'll, we'll just make sure you get the answer, and that'll be good enough. <laughs> IPAs have become the go-to beer for many craft beers, but all or craft beer drinkers. But although they share the common theme of a focus on abundant hop flavor and aroma, they often explore many different variations on that central theme. 
The hop varieties use the timing, methods, and conditions under which they are added, and the other supporting cast of ingredients and brewing methods make this seemingly ubiquitous style much more varied and unique than it sometimes gets credit for. Tonight's speakers will explore the different facets of their own unique executions of the IPA style. So please join me in welcoming John Mallett with Bell's Brewery in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Dan Canary with Harpoon Brewing in Boston, Massachusetts. Ron Lindenbush with Lagunitas Brewing in Petaluma, California. And, and, and you know, my, my hometown Midwest boy over here, Omar Ansari from Surly Brewing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you all very much. Enjoy the talk. And remember, as these evenings go on, it gets harder and harder and people get louder and louder. So let these guys get a word in edgewise. You might learn something. All right. Good evening. Welcome again. Dan Canary from Harpoon in Boston. Glad to be with all of you. Celebrate IPAs. It's something we've been doing for a long time at Harpoon. This is our 24th year with an IPA. It's been our flagship for about 19 of those years. Um, and really proud and honored to be with such a great group of, of brewers and guys here. And uh, to celebrate absolutely my favorite style of beer. So, Har Harpoon, we came out with our IPA in the summer of 1993 as our summer seasonal. We had Harpoon Ale at that point, which is kind of a mild English ale. And we, we had grown to love some of the pale ales out in the Northwest. And being from New England, where we have a lot of tradition and the culture's English and style, we knew about IPAs and the English-style IPAs. So we came out with our Harpoon IPA in the summer of 1993. We call it a, now a New England-style IPA to talk about harmony of, harmony of the ingredients between the hops and the malt and the, and the yeast. Uh, Mid-40s IBUs. It's not a West Coast IPA, which has come on the scene in the last five or ten years, which are wonderful beers as well. But this is more an American adaptation of the English style of IPA. So I hope you enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to answering any questions as you do so. Thank you. I don't know who's going next. That's it. That's it. So who's running Actually, can you guys hear me without this thing? I gotta be on the radio. Oh, okay. All right. How about if I hold it over here and still talk to you like real people? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm John Mallett from Bell's Brewery, and uh, the beer that we brought for this first round is Two Hearted. It's one of the main beers we make at the brewery. And uh, for us, we've been making this beer for like 20 years, 20 plus years. And the beer is uh, kind of a unique take because it's 100% of a single hop, and that single hop is Centennial. Um, I think at this point we probably use more Centennial than any other brewery in the world, uh, and most of it's driven for this beer. When I look at this beer, I really think about this beer a lot like I think about a fruit. And so a fruit has got some beautiful sweetness to it. It's got a wonderful... Uh, Aroma, you know, the aroma on it is coming from esters, um, and there's, you, know, you want to balance this whole thing out with a little bit of bitterness in this case. So for this beer, uh, Two-Hearted, you know, we really do this uh, with, a, with a unique process. Um, in a lot of ways, I think about beer as 
you should be able to hold the glass up and, it have, and have it be transparent. And when I mean transparent, I think about you should look through the beer and all the way back to the farmer's fields. So the brewery kind of is a pane of glass through which you get that. So we work very extensively with our, with our farmers and our raw material suppliers to try and produce a beer that just kind of goes all the way back and is, uh, is, is just there, you know? Um, so again, with this beer, we're using a bunch of uh, two-row malt and trying to build a little firm malty background to it and then really express that single, that single hop, that centennial hop, so. I don't know, what else? Is that good? Yeah? All right. All right, Omar. Well, all right. Thanks. Uh, we're really excited to be here. I don't know. Are folks familiar with uh, with Surly at all? We're not. Uh, we're not out in this market except for tonight. So, has anyone heard of us? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller. Couple Bueller. Okay. We're uh, we're from the, we're another Midwest brewery here. There's two Midwest breweries, so I think you know we do brew. Well, I guess there's three Midwest breweries uh, breweries here now, but uh, we do brew some pretty good, some pretty hoppy beers uh, in the Midwest. And. Um, Surly got, uh, got going about eight years ago. Uh, we just had our eighth anniversary. And um, before, uh, before we got going, what I drank was a lot of the beer, one of the beers that was up here tonight. Uh, Two-Hearted was pretty much the staple in my fridge uh, for a long time. And I think a little different in the Midwest, at least when I, when I, when I was thinking about West Coast beers, because to me that's in my mind where, or maybe that's because I used to drink there a lot when I'd go out West, whether it be skiing or playing ultimate running around out there whenever I go out west there was just some just so many more hoppy beers than I had in Minnesota and really that was the inspiration really one of the inspirations for Surly to get going was to brew some beers that weren't in weren't in our market because we just you know back when we started we only had Summit um, in Minnesota there were there just weren't a lot of breweries and, and things have changed a lot and I wanted to bring some of those beers like I said whenever I go out skiing um, I'd have some beers just these huge wonderful hoppy beers, um, and we just we didn't have that, and that's what I was home brewing. So um, one of those ideas to, when I got that brewery started was let's bring some of those beers uh, to Minnesota. So uh, this particular beer, uh, Furious, that is a beer that uh, Todd Hauger, head brewer, I'm not the brewer at Surly, um, but Todd Hauger, head brewer, had brewed a variation of that at Rock Bottom in Minneapolis where he worked, and he called it Big Red. And I remember when I had it, um, that first day when I met Todd, because uh, at that point when I was trying to get the brewery built, I was going around talking to as many brewers in Minnesota as I could, and I'd been to Rock Bottom before and didn't like the beers, so I hadn't gone back there for years, but Todd had, had taken over and had kind of changed things around, and I had this beer, and I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. This is exactly the kind of thing, you know, this, this is the kind of beer that, that, I, that I wanted to brew. So, so Todd came on board um, about a year after that, and uh, this is really one of our flagships. And it's funny, um, we had two beers that we started off with, Bender, our brown ale, and Furious. We kind of knew Furious would maybe be a little bit challenging uh, for some of the palates in Minnesota because there weren't, you know, Two-Hearted was the other hoppiest beer, or was the hoppiest beer in the market at that time. Um, but what we wanted to do with this beer was, was have a lot of that malt complexity to balance off um, the hops. We've got so many breweries, I think, that are brewing IPAs that are, you know, just sort of throwing in as the cheapest kind of least amount of malt they can. 
uh, and it just doesn't work with the hops. You've got to have some, some great malt to balance off that hop bitterness, otherwise it just, like the beer just doesn't work. Um, and um, so when, when I remember bringing that beer around to, to people in town and, and no one wanted it. It was too hoppy, it was too bitter. I remember one guy spit it out and it's a really hard sales call when someone spits out your beer. And I remember just sitting there like, I don't know how to wrap this one up. And uh, I said, well, give me a call if you want the beer. Uh, you know, but, um, but now they did, a, uh, they did a huge beer event with us this last year. So it seems like most people have come around. Their palates have evolved uh, along with ours. And certainly beers that were crazy, uh, you know, back when we did beer festivals eight years ago, that beer was something everyone came to drink. Everyone wanted to check it out. And now it's just a beer of, you know, the Twin Cities of Minnesota. So things keep evolving, things keep changing. But for eight years ago, this was a pretty big beer uh, for us. So this beer, uh, we use a lot of Golden Promise malt in it um, to give it uh, some great malt backbone. And uh, we use four different hop varieties in this. And one of those ideas, kind of like John was talking about, using Centennial, one of the dangers you have when you're a brewer, you use one variety. If you've got a problem with that one variety, um, you're kind of screwed. So um, Todd had worked at some breweries in which that was an issue. So uh, we use uh, Amarillo, Simcoe, Atanum, and Warrior um, in this one and um, keep trying to brew more of it. So I'll hand it off to Ron. So I just, I just got to say that I'm, I am so fucking honored to be in this room with these guys right here talking about IPAs because when you think about IPAs and, the, and the, the thing that's happening right now in craft beer, it's all about IPA. It's all about hops. It's all about these new flavors and aromas. And these guys are making some of the best IPAs in the game. And it's really, it truly is an honor to be in this room with them. And, and it's cool to, to see you guys come out and give a shit about this. Thanks for that. But, uh, you know, hop flavors are, are really, um, you know, it's nothing new. But it, it, within the last, since like 1975, it's, a, it's something that has become new. And Fritz Maytag was the coolest about it all. And anybody a fan of Anchor Brewing? When you think about who made, who made the first hoppy beer and made it really cool, it was Liberty Ale. And anybody a Liberty fan? How about, how about that one? You know, so you think about that, and there's a, a family called the Siegel Ranch. John Siegel is the heir to the throne. He, um, Siegel Ranch is in Yakima, Washington, where they grow all the cool hops that exist. And Siegel Ranch created Cascade. And they... Everybody know Cascade? Love that hop. I mean, that's such a big thing in our IPA. It's like, it's, you know, Centennial and Cascade are the biggest parts of the flavor profile of our IPA. And we started making it in 95. We loved it when it came out of the gate, and we decided we were going to make that our flagship. And we got lucky, and we threw the football down the field to that receiver that caught the goddamn thing. And, excuse my language, I get a little... Swear a little, but but you know you you gotta when you when you're thinking about what's going to happen down the road, you think about like possibilities, and and those possibilities may not seem plausible, and and when we were making hoppy beer, we made it because Fritz Maytag made Liberty Ale, 
And, and Liberty was such a beautiful beer, and it was such a deliciously grapefruity, big aroma, just this huge thing that nobody else had done, except maybe Burt Grant, but his kind of sucked. Yeah. You know, anybody ever have Grant's IPA? Oh, my God. That, that was a hard beer to drink. But... <laughs> But it was because it was so astringently bitter, you know, and the hops on the end of the thing, they just put way too much hops up front, in my opinion, my humble opinion, he, he, and what I like to drink. He put way too much hops up front. He left this real long, lingering bitterness on the back of the tongue. And, you know, 30 seconds later, you're wanting to drink some club soda, you know? It's like, so, but, but Fritz Maytag nailed it. And Fritz, a long time ago, Tony McGee, I don't know if anybody knows who Tony McGee is, but he's the founder and the, the imperial warlord at Lagunitas. I, I was employee number three, so I've been there a while. But, uh, but you know, he, he said, when we were first talking about what kind of beers we should make, it was, it was pale ale, it was amber ale, it was a wheat beer, it was a stout that he was making. And our first seasonal beer was our IPA in 1995 and when we drank that beer we went holy shit that's my god that's our future and and every and everybody i took it out to 90 percent of the people i took it out to said that beer sucks that beer's bitter nobody's gonna drink this shit i'm like i think they will just maybe not today but give us a chance and you know that's that's just how this whole ipa thing came on for us and you know, we just started going into more hoppy beers, and pretty soon the amber ale fell off because when we started, it was all about amber ales and fruit beers, you know, and in the mid-'90s. And, we, you know, we, we, I think we were, you know, we weren't the first one. I mean, Harpoon was in way early on IPA. There's a lot of breweries. Burt Grant, I mean, there were a lot of breweries in early on IPA. But, but we made it our flagship way early, just like Harpoon did, and... And as a result, you know, we're down now. It's like, geez, I mean, this, this is a 6.2 IPA. It's not that hoppy relative to what's out there. That's why when a buddy of mine went, hey, man, that, geez, I've been drinking your IPA for years, but it's just not hoppy enough. I said, what are you, stupid? <laughs> so we made hop stupid. I was like, fuck you, here's your beer. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, you answer the call when the call gets made. But, uh, but you know, the, the whole hop thing has come on, and now it's coming back. And the whole flavor thing, the whole flavor pendulum, if you think about what you drank when you first started drinking good beer, I don't know, I don't know my, my first one was really Heineken Dark. Because I lived in St. Louis when I grew up, and Heineken Dark was like the first sexy beer that came out. And Heineken was, tasted like shit, but Heineken Dark was pretty cool. Like... <laughs> It was like a nice Doppelbach. I mean, it really had some nice malty flavors. And nobody starts with hoppy flavors. Everybody starts, starts with malty flavors and richness. And, you know, you think about the wine you drank when you first started drinking wine. Anybody into uh, Sutter Home White's Infidel? All right, right, right. Sutter Home White's Inn. Fuck yeah. But, uh, but then you, you go to Chablis, and then you get really classy, and you start drinking Chardonnay. And then pretty soon you're drinking the biggest, baddest-ass Zinfandels that you've ever had. And that's what's happening with beer right now. It's like it's all swinging toward hops. It's all swinging toward big flavors and big drama. And, and it's coming back because 80% of the people in the country drink Miller, Coors, Budweiser. 
You know? I mean, so you think about, oh, wait, I had daytime a minute ago. Holy shit, I switched to nighttime. Sorry. I might start babbling. <laughs> but you, you think about, you look at the beers that are coming out these days, and, you know, we just made a sessionable IPA called Daytime that you're going to taste in a minute. Right now, we've got our standard IPAs from each of our breweries here that are our, our everyday, you know, this is our flagship. It has been, it's still 60% of our business, and, and it's still 60% of our growth, which is kind of weird. But, you know, you see all the seasonals and everybody wants something new and everything. So we do that too. And you're going to see the next round of beers are going to be that. And we've, all right, all right. Daytime's coming out right now, but, you know, I, I don't know. I live in Northern California and I got some farmers that are friends of mine. And I'm always like, I don't care if you call it blueberry kush or raspberry thunderfuck. Just give me daytime weed, would you please? So, <laughs> so, so anyway, when, when we made a beer, we were like, we need a beer that, that's going you know, to be something that people will drink at a music festival and not pass out on. Our lowest ABV beer was 6.2, and we were like, we need a low alcohol beer. And we weren't going to wuss out on it, so we made a beer called Daytime, 4.65, delicious. It's like the most expensive beer we make because we put so much citra in the dry hop. And... Uh, you know, but it's it's what what it's where things are going. You know, this pendulum thing it goes out and it comes back, and uh, I don't know. I, I everybody, you know, when when uh, you know, I saw Georgia when they changed their alcohol laws and allowed higher alcohol beer. It was like the biggest shipment of of Sierra Nevada Bigfoot ever that went out. It was the biggest shipment ever of of, of Chimay Triple, and. Everybody's like, oh, you need to go to Atlanta, man. You need to go to Georgia. I was like, I'm going to wait till they get done puking on Belgians and barley wines, and then we'll go in with something that makes sense that's over 5%. So you think about that pendulum swing, and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, you're going to see it in your glass. So everybody getting some in you? Nobody's drinking, man. Nobody's drinking. What's going on out there? Yeah, I was going to say, has anybody got any questions on the first round? I should probably hand off this microphone, too. Yes. What's that? Okay, so my question is, the IPA is kind of, you know, 10 years ago it was, it was new, but now it's sort of become the standard bearer. It's become the spicy tuna, if you will, of... Oh. There we go. All right. So the, the IPA has, you know, started and 10 years ago it was new, but now it's sort of the, the standard bearer, the, the spicy tuna, if you will, of, of beers, you know, the, the, the way to experience a brewery for the first time. Where do you go from here? Where do you go from just, you know, your IPA? How do you start to go into something new and what kind of directions do you go with that? Well, that's a great question where to go to next. If anyone has the answer for that, I think that would be fantastic to hear. Um, but, yeah, where do we go to next? I, you know, I, I still think I think a, a way to answer that for me at least is um, myself as uh, I think a lot of people in the beer industry is like, like being into beer advocate, like a lot of people, you kind of see them. You see people get into beers, they get into bigger beers, they get into IPAs, they get into Russian Imperial Stouts. The beers get bigger, and that's kind of all anyone wants. And then they sort of 
I guess, like Ron said, the pendulum swings back, and all of a sudden you find out people that have been drinking your beers for years are suddenly drinking lagers, they're drinking session ales, they're getting into those beers. And um, I don't know, it's, it's really more of a spectrum of beers, I think, that craft brewers brew to like kind of have a life cycle of someone that wants to drink beer because I know a lot of people that, yeah, they were there, they were into IPAs for a while, they kind of come back around and then they're drinking them again later. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's people uh, want, ex- I, I, that's I think one of the great things about beer is you can continue to drink different types of beer. There's always new beers to drink, new things to explore. So I think it's really having a number of different varieties to drink because, yeah, maybe IPAs were 10 years ago, but that's the biggest selling beer now, and that's what so many people want. That's what bars want to put on. That's what a lot of liquor stores are selling. So at the end of the day, that's what people are drinking. But it's the whole life cycle of beers, in my mind. It's that elusive hoppy Zinfandel that Ron was talking about. Exactly. You know, it's a great style. It's a great style. For those of us who have been doing it for a long time, we've been believing, you know, when you ask what's in our own refrigerator at home. I have a lot of different beers I try, and on occasion I'll bring, I'll bring home a lot of our various one-offs and this, and I love them, but I just go back to the IPA time and time again. For me personally, the IPA style defines beer. When I, you know, when I think about I'm going to have a beer, it's an IPA. And it's such a great example of what's wonderful about American craft brewing, right? We took this great old story, this traditional style of brewing, and we've completely adapted it. And we've experimented, we've made it our own, we've made it way, way, way bigger. And we don't, you know, we take the story and we do with it what we want. And we respond to you guys, which is we want to hear more from you tonight. We respond to you and what you like and uh, try to make it even better and more exciting for tomorrow. So I'm going to answer your question. You're going to tell us where we're going next with this. IPA from New Zealand that was a tea leaf IPA. And it was really interesting because it had a lot of the bergamot. It was sort of an Earl Grey. It had sort of, sort of a bergamot, that kind of orange peel flavor going on with it. And it had that extra dimension to it that was more than just uh, citrusy or kind of a sort of dankness. And I think that's the kind of way that uh, the IPAs are, are going. Either you have a really multi-IPA where there's really interesting malt flavors to balance this you know, incredible hop, or you have this really interesting kind of contrast to the hop or, or citrusy note that is complementary to the hop. You know, that's, that's really, you know, that, that kind of points to where IPAs came from, right? And everybody knows the whole story about IPAs going to India, and that's where it all came from. They were making these beers in Britain that were spoiling on the ship, right? And so they jacked up the alcohol, they jacked up the hops, it preserved the beer, and the beer was palatable when it got to India. But the beer was not palatable for the people in England at the time. You know, if it didn't age and it didn't, like, blow out that hop character... I mean, if anybody's had our IPA that's more than four months old, please call me. Please give me a buzz. Let me know. Let me know where you bought it. We'll go ship that shit out and get fresh beer in there too sweet. Because IPAs are not, 
They're not designed to, to be as flavorful when they're fresh as they are when they're four months old. The whole origin of it was because hops and the acid that's in the hops prevent bacterial growth, so does higher alcohol. So, so they were making this weird beer in, in England back in the 1800s to ship to India. And, you know, it would be four months crossing the equator, going down. The hop flavor and aroma would be completely blown out because the Brits didn't dig that part of it. They wouldn't drink it in London, but they would drink it four months later because it didn't have bacterial spoilage going on. So the beer was palatable. It was drinkable. It didn't taste like the IPA that was fresh. I had an importer in China tell me that he wanted to bring our beer into China. And, and I was like, well, you need to ship it refrigerated. He said, well, we can't afford to do that. I said, well, then that's a, that's a deal breaker. You know, because our, if our beer ships to China for, you know, two months on a boat or however long it takes, it's going to taste like crap when it gets there. He goes, yes, but it will always taste the same. <laughs> really? I mean, I was, really. I, so I was like, well, that, that also is a deal breaker because it's going to taste like crap. And he's like, but every time they get it, it'll be consistent. And I was like, holy shit, are you kidding me? So, so I'm, I'm talking to him through this really cute young Chinese gal, you know, and, and she was just, she's, and he starts banging his hand on the table going, I tell you that this is the way I've always done business. And, and he slammed his hand down and speaking Chinese and she goes, he respectfully says, <laughs> I was like, that was not respectful. I'm sorry. I, I don't care where you are. You know, that's not respectful. But he respectfully says he's been doing the business like this forever. But the idea is that IPAs, and, and when you get hoppy beers, when you want a hoppy IPA, you want it fresh. And if there's anything that we can do as a, as a consumer base to make sure that, that our craft category continues to grow, it's know if your beer is fresh and taste it. And if it's not fresh and you taste something from us that doesn't taste fresh, please call me. Seriously. Tell me the store. Our guys will be there in two days and change that shit out. But IPAs are hoppy. The hoppy flavor comes from dry hopping. It comes from late hop additions in the boil. And all these things are so volatile. that, And there's so many varieties of hops out there, you know, and... That's where this comes back to the origin of IPAs. Like the, the original British IPAs were very malty, and they were more malt forward. And now we've gone off on a whole other tangent, where it's 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 not necessarily about the malt; it's about the hops. And ready. Thanks for taking the time today. I've got to say, listen to you guys. We're obviously very much hop heads in here. I want to hear about it. So when what are the challenges? with making a double IPA that I could drink all day long, and when am I gonna get it? Buy a new liver. Get that spare liver that you can plug in on the side, you're good to go. Yeah, so there's a lot of challenges to brewing double IPA. Um, we make a beer called Hop Slam that is a double IPA. It's a uh, nice beer, but um, I th- yeah. <laughs> What's that? 
Yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you, making double IPAs is a very interesting challenge for us because um, you know I'm very much a brewing scientist, and uh, you make a beer like this, and the you know with double IPA you're making a beer with a lot of alcohol in it, and eventually alcohol is toxic for yeast, and there's a point at which yeast you know is just like you know I feel like a 90 year old man running a marathon. They're not going to go out and procreate well afterwards. They just want to take a nap. So, so yeah, I, uh, that's, yeah. I, I, I'll, I can try. So uh, with these beers, what we're doing is we're, is we're trying to make a beer that's both, you know, that has a double IPA has got a significant portion of the flavor of this comes from esters. And um, you know we're going to go back to high school chemistry because that's really why we all came here tonight was to hear about high school chemistry. Woo! Yeah. yeah. But uh, but what an what an ester is an ester are all the fruity great fruity flavors that we smell in things like strawberry and in beer right these are esters and all an ester is chemically is an acid bonded to an alcohol and by the way in double IPA we got a lot of alcohol so we got a lot of opportunities to make these incredible estery flavors. So these estery flavors that come together from this alcohol, you know, double IPA is, is really about building up some alcohol. And the problem with this as a brewer is that um, you make alcohol from sugars. And there's a portion of sugars that are unfermentable. And so if we just took a straight beer and made it really strong, we would also make it really sweet. So making the challenge with making a double IPA is to dry it out enough so the beer tastes and drinks like something of much, uh, it's not as satiating in the mouth. It's not, it's not just overly sweet in the mouth. So to the question of what are the challenges there is, how do you dry this thing out? And so for a lot of brewers, what the, the method for that is, is that we'll add in a very simple fermentable sugars so that we can drive that down and just drive it and, 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 and drive the alcohol to a place where we're going to get these great esters. Second problem is we're going to add a lot of hops in. I mean, we added a crushing amount of hops. And I really think that, you know, going back to history, we look at the way hops were delivered for a long time, is that the hops were, were aged and the flavors change. And really what's happened in, in the past years is that, number one, American hop growers have really gotten expert in better processing of hops, so we get these incredibly bright flavors. Flavors like, you know, like tr traditional, like Sauvignon Blanc, like gooseberry, really interesting, bright mango, tropical flavors. And these are flavors that don't exist in Germany because they're aged, because these hops are, have, been, have undergone an aging process just in, in simply in the processing. Second thing we're doing is we're throwing an absolute ton of hops at it. And I really feel like the very best American double IPAs, the double IPA style, is really best exemplified by an incredibly bright hop flavor. That hop flavor goes away. Hop flavor is like the first of the beer flavors to go away. So when Ron was saying like, don't, you, know, you want to find fresh IPA, that is absolutely the case because these, these aromas are just so delicate. Chemically, they are attacked and destroyed very easily. So the challenge is, number one, can you get these flavors in there? How do you impart these 
wonderful aromas into the beer. And number two, how do you stabilize them and, and, and hold them? And, and, and time is not on your side. So challenges really are very different in that you want to get it into the beer drinker's hands quickly and effectively and have them be able to experience that beer at its peak. And I really feel that that is the primary challenge. It's kind of a roundabout way to the question, and it's an interesting solution, but that is the challenge, I feel. So, again, I love double IPA. I absolutely love it. I mean, the amount of flavor that you get out of these beers is simply incredible. And I really look at a beer like, you know, like the, the very first beer we had tonight was this Harpoon IPA, and that's a beer that I've been drinking for a long time. I absolutely love this beer. And this beer is not about being, you know, bitter to the extent that you need like a rotary tongue scraper as you, as you finish it, but it's really approachable and drinkable and you get this great hop blast um, and, 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 it, and it clears through the palate and I just love this beer. So, um, I don't know, I come back to it. We have a question, yes, go. Yeah, I have a question. Um, first of all, I actually have a comment. Please do not um, bring any beers to China, because once the Chinese get a taste for hops, we're all fucked. Seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. I mean, do the math. Um, my, my question is, and, and I'm glad I'm following John, because um, he described, described all of the flavors and what the challenges are, and I realize you're all brewers, but you basically have one ingredient that traditionally um, was earthy, uh, if you talk about English IPA, uh, American, piney, resinous, citrus, and now we're getting blueberry flavors. We're getting this whole shallot, garlic, onion flavor. Um, we're getting flavor. There's, I'm, I'm sure next year there'll be some other flavors pulled out of these hops because of the freshness, because of the different methods, the different packaging. Um, again, realizing you're brewers and you guys want to do whatever you want to do, how do you reconcile calling something an IPA that has blueberry flavors in some cases, other cases onion garlic, which are completely at odds and, and the flavor spectrum. Um, so you were saying, where do we go? Where, where, where does it go with IPA? And, and, you know, either as a consumer or competition-wise, um, I, I judge beers. It's like some people just do not like the onion garlic shallot. I love it. Actually, I don't, I don't not love any of the IPAs. But where, where do we go from here on that spectrum? I, I can actually speak to the onion garlic piece because that's, that's an interesting piece. So onion garlic is a flavor that tends to arrive... These are sulfur-based compounds, and they tend to arise very late in the flavor development of the hop. And the hop, you know, as the hop's growing up, it eventually throws this uh, uh, flower-like uh, structure. That's what we use. And as that really ripens to a, to a large extent, then those onion garlic uh, flavors start to come out. Those are sulfur-based. The other flavors, all these other flavors, are very interestingly based on... Uh, a, 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 a carbon-5 hydrogen-8 polymer, C5H8 polymer, and um, now we're going past high school chemistry, and, you know, that's not what you paid for. <laughs> Any, anyways, <laughs> but very interestingly, these... this. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, back to this C5H8 polymer. 
Um, this is the same structure that shows up in fruits. It's a really common building block. So when you get these incredible like lemon and lime and, and grapefruit and all of these aromas, these are all together. So really I think that, you know, to your question, that harvest timing is incredibly important. And looking back to the farm and working with the farmers to talk about when in that cycle of, you know, little flavor starting to blow up with some fruity flavors, starting to get into those really amazing tropical flute flavors, and then uh, eventually coming over to, to onion garlic. And there are beers with lemon gar or onion garlic that are absolutely delicious. So in that whole spectrum, where do you want to be? So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but this is... It's all about polymers. We got a... <laughs> oh, we got a drink again. Bottoms up. I think Ron, I think Ron, you're up. I think we're going west coast back through. The, we're then, then we're going to go to the Midwest. So when you, when you think about, there is something to, uh, to be said about the hop farmers that are going on. And uh, these guys, we're going to go to the next beer. So if you've heard of Citrus, Simcoe, Mosaic, uh, Amarillo, uh, even Cascade that I mentioned earlier, these hops are all grown by farmers up in Yakima, Washington that, that create new hop varieties by crossbreeding. And when you crossbreed most plants, you, you take a seed and you, you know, you, you've got a cross-pollination and you get a plant that grows equal to the two sums of the part. But in hops, it's heterozygous, and I, I love that word. Anybody know the word heterozygous? Great fucking word. H-E-T-R-O-Z-Y-G-O-U-S. All right, heterozygous. But, but it means that when you, when you crossbreed a hop plant, you can, you can pollinate a female, and, and you'll come out with 100 different types of hops out of that female. It's like apples. If you take an apple seed and you plant a Jonathan apple seed, there's no fucking way you're going to get a Jonathan apple tree. It's going to come up with something new. You, you have to... You have to you have to graft things, you know, and it's rootstock. And the same with grapes. They're heterozygous. So these guys that are doing this hop breeding in the Yakima are the most fascinating guys to me in this whole freaking business. They made, they just named Equinox. Anybody heard of Equinox hops? It's brand freaking new. It was called HBC 366. It was their, their experimental hop breeding company, 366. They number them. And then if they plant them out and they get a home run, they name it and they start to make it. And that happened with Mosaic, Citra, Simcoe, all of them. I mean, they, 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 have, they, have, uh, they have trademarks on these genomes so nobody else can grow that without them licensing these hops to them. So if you think about what's important to IPA, it's hops. I mean, it's, it's hops, 100%, top to bottom. It's what... It's what we're all about. And so we're working directly with these farmers. A lot of other breweries are too. That, we, you know, we just, you know, Centennial came up earlier. That's a very important hop in our IPA. I think it's in, in the, the Bell's Two-Hearted, right? Not Centennial in daytime. Citra. Yeah, but, but Centennial, you know, we, everybody's, everybody's, I'm drinking, I'm sorry, I'm drinking Two-Hearted. I love this fucking beer. I love this beer. No, you know, I, yeah, yeah, too hearted when I can get it. Are you kidding me? Drink this beer whenever you can get it. I love it. 
Love that beer. But, but you think about Centennial Hops. Polymer. <laughs> think about Centennial Hops and everybody's stopping growing them because they're not a sexy hop. Everybody's switching over to Citra and Simcoe and, you know, the, the Mosaic. And, you know, and, and we, you know, we just bought in for 100 acres of Centennial where we put in the infrastructure so we make sure that we got Centennial for our IPA. So when you think about the hop varieties that are being grown, these guys, there's a guy named Jason Peralt that's the head of the hop breeding company, and there's four other farmers that he works with, and they're just, they're so heady about it, but they'll, they'll plant 100 seeds off of cross-pollination, and they'll get 100 different hop varieties, and they put them out in the, in the greenhouse, and they grow them up, and they hit them with mildew, and they hit them with moisture, and they hit them with everything that'll kill a hop plant, and see which ones are hardy and healthy, and which ones are going to make the, make the scene, and then, you know, they, they pick the winners, they put them out in the field, and then, and then we buy it and we drink it. Well, that was a great explanation at daytime. So we got to get to overrated as we keep on. I, like, I, like, John talked about too hard, and I talked about too hard, and you talked about too hard, and everyone loves it, I guess, but one guy up here. But we want to talk a little bit about overrated, which is our, um, uh, a beer we started brewing last year. Um, and uh, what happened in the Twin Cities was in Minnesota was we brewed as much furious as we could well we still are because that's really what everyone wants to drink and we just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for everyone in the Twin Cities to brew um, what I consider a West Coast IPA and it's maybe I don't know if these guys would agree with that's the correct name for that style but um, in my mind it's, it's a beer that is a uh, really hoppy not a lot of malt character to it, um, so it's kind of bracingly uh, hoppy. That sort of tongue scrapingly, like, wow, that's a lot of hops, and it's not for everyone. Um, but you know, hoppy beers aren't for everyone. Like I say, you know, once you get into spicy foods, you kind of love that, love and live that style of food. Same thing with hops. Once you get into that, that can be all that you want to do. Like I don't care about. Um, you know, Belgian beers, I don't care about big stouts, I just want something hoppy, something big. And for the longest time in Minnesota, we just kind of waited for someone else to brew one of these beers because we didn't li literally have the hops contracted, which is a big part of brewing IPAs is you've got to have those hops contracted because if you can't get that raw material, you can't brew the beer. And we kept waiting and it just didn't happen. So eventually we're like, well, let's just go ahead and do it. So that's where Overrated came from, which is sort of with the can art um, of what we did. I know you guys are drinking it out of, um, out of uh, uh, glasses, but sort of a, uh, you know, we're, we've, we're number one. We've got F-15s on it. We've got stars and stripes. We've got um, explosions. It's kind of, a, I don't know if anyone's seen Team America, but it's kind of a, it's, kind of America. Yeah. Fuck yeah, America is kind of what it is. So we wanted to have some fun with it. It's, uh, it's really about that sort of West Coast style, which is it's all two-row. We don't have any um, additional malts in it to give it that extra body that a beer like Furious does, but pretty much two-row and a lot of hops. And it's kind of bracingly hoppy, but that's, that's sort of the idea. So that's where that, uh, that beer came from us. So who's next? In the Midwest, well, we're, we're we still in the, the Midwest. John would stop um, fraternizing over there. For, yeah. 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 Um, so the next beer that uh, we brought is a beer called Kalamazoo IPA, which we, which we refer to in our pub as Kippa, 
And uh, it's available only in Kalamazoo and apparently in Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, and so this is, you know, we really, we really like to brew. Uh, we, I mean, we just love beer. I mean, we, we just love, love to make different beers. And so this beer um, is very different than Too Hard. It uses a really big spectrum of hops. There are seven different hops in this beer. And what we're trying to do is to build in much more of a caramely sweetness into the beer so that it's got like, um, you know, I think of some beers as just having this, you know, the, like, like, like Omar was saying that there are some beers where the, where the malt presence is really diminished and it allows the hop to come up and really be elevated. And then there are other beers where you're really trying to balance that malt with the hops. Uh, and, and this is an IPA. Um, and then this beer is one where there's a little more caramel malt in there, so we're really trying to build this full spectrum of hop flavor to complement a really full spectrum of malt flavor. Um, beyond that, I, you know, I don't place this in any one particular place. I think of this beer as being sort of, you know, if I was going to position a beer, put a pin on a map in the United States as to where this beer sits, it's more to the East Coast. And I think the more to the East Coast piece references back to Britain. So with the British beers, the British beers that were being shipped, you know, the original IPAs, which are being shipped across the ocean, um, you know, to, 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 to India, uh, these beers would have had much more malt character to them than we think of American IPA today. So I look at this beer as thinking sort of a new twist on a very traditional old style. Well, the new twist is the American hop, you know? The American hop that's in this, you know, we've got some cascades in there, but we're also using a fair amount of a British hop known as Fuggle, which is just a beautiful, subtle and sublime hop, uh, which sits in there and, and kind of fills in that middle section. I mean, we make I, you know, I love making different beers, so we make this very sort of, uh, the Two-Hearted kind of sits in its own place. It's, it's very um, single, you know, the single hop na nature of it, the fairly pale color, and yet the malt on it kind of puts it, at, uh, you know, by itself. We also make a really West Coast style double IPA. We make another IPA, which we call Big Head which is uh, kind of a little throwdown with the San Diego Brewers, but we don't need to go there, you know. And, and then we make this more uh, East Coast kind of IPA. And I do think that the referencing back to, to geography is, is important. We have a question? Comment? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Um, can you talk about, other than Hop Stupid from Lagunitas, who's using hop extracts and where do you see that coming into play in the future? <laughs> I, I, I don't know that. I mean, I don't, and I don't think hop extracts are, are horrible. I mean, the the you guys want me, me to go chemistry? You want like you know fun polymers. and dancing? Polymers. <laughs> no polymers, John. Chemistry, out. All right, so all right. You want to go? Yeah, go. Ahead. So yeah, hop extracts. Everybody know what hop extracts are? Part of the hop. Everybody know? Do you know? Yeah. Well, they're, um, they're, they're extracted hop lupulins from the hop flower that are pulled out by liquid CO2 extraction. So you freeze the hops in a liquid CO2 extraction, 
all the oils crystallize and they fall out into the liquid solution. You run that liquid solution off, you got liquid CO2 that's, that's very volatile, and it, it'll just, it'll, you know, that's how they make hash oil, too. I wasn't going to go into that, but that's, that's the, the hash, the, the pot growers invented this stuff. It's called ice hash. But the, the hop growers, they, they crystallize the oils, it falls off the plant material, and, and you run it off into a solution with liquid CO2. And when you, when you evaporate the liquid CO2, you've got this gooey, syrupy hop extract that basically is the lupulin oils that have been frozen into solution and then, and then evaporated out. So, you know, I, I, I talked to everybody know Russian River? You familiar with Russian River? Anybody heard of them before? Vinny and Natalie are great friends of mine. I've known Vinny since before he started Russian River. And, uh, you know, I, I said, hey, you're, you're using extracts, aren't you? He goes, fuck yeah, it's the only way you can make a beer like this. And I, that's Pliny the Elder. Anybody have Pliny? At least heard of it? Have you ever paid $30 for a bottle online? They hate that shit. They hate that shit. But, but I was like, Vinny, you know, you're using them, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm using them. I was like, do you mind if I tell the truth about that? Because we're, we're not going to hide it. We're making hop stupid, and we're going to use extract, and we're going to tell everybody that we're doing it, and we're going to tell them why it's good. And... The hop extracts that you pull out with liquid CO2 like that, the benefit is that you don't have to boil all the hop plant material for 90 minutes to get your bitterness extraction. And when you do, you get this, you get this astringency that comes from the plant material. And it's like, it's like cooking broccoli too long. It's like cooking... You're sneaking in. Are we, is, that, is this the proverbial hook? Is this like the music's playing? But anyway, the, uh, the extracts are a great way to add bitterness to the beer without adding the astringency of the whole plant material. And that's how Pliny the Elder works. That's how Hop Stupid works. I don't, I don't know if anybody here will admit to using them, but, uh, but it's, that's, that's what it's all about. Anyway. I want to make sure that uh, Dan has a chance to finish up. We uh, pretty soon this huge crowd is going to come, come through, crowding out you know, of that room. I just think so one of the things about being in craft beer is we're we're authentic and we own up. We own our beers. We make our beers, and we're out here talking about how we make our beers. So hop extracts. That's what they do. The, they 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 make incredible beer. So you know that's how they make their beer and. We're all about people putting on their label where they make it, who owns it, etc. You know? <laughs> Hash oil? Um, the Leviathan IPA, I'll be very brief. We kind of took the balloon and we blew the balloon up, right? Centennial, Amarillo, Simcoe, Cascade Hops, 110 IBUs, 10% alcohol. But again, we believe in balanced balance beer. So hopefully you're, you're, you're drinking that with the, uh, in the Leviathan IPA. A um, couple of points, macro points. Steve said I can talk for a second because I've, I've been at this a long time. You shouldn't buy an IPA that doesn't have a code date on it. You're here. You know, yeah, I, I, I firmly yeah, believe that. And I, yeah, I, I, wish the BA, I wish the BA would come out and say we've got to have absolute code dating in all of our bottles because that's the single most important thing when you're buying a beer is, you know what, you should know how fresh it is because it's a perishable product. And the other thing just to leave you with, and this is a personal point of mine, we're not wine people. I don't like snobs, period. So let's always remember that we're beer people. 
And if you like a beer and he doesn't like a beer, it's okay. Don't ever be intimidated by someone coming over to you in the restaurant with the beer list. Like you do with a sommelier with the wine list. We don't have French words for who's presenting you with the beer menu. So we, we, we got into this business a long time ago because we love beer and wanted to share that love with other people. And we've transformed the American beer industry with your help, which is incredible. But beer should never be something that's intimidating to anybody because it's a social drink that your opinion is as valid as my opinion. And we wouldn't be in business if you guys weren't all here telling us how you care about IPAs. So cheers to you all. And we're going to finish everything on the table up here right now in your honor. <laughs> You know, I've, I've been in this room for three talks now, and I can tell you that one of my favorite, you know, two of my favorite things I have brought up with every talk, which is the art and science of brewing. And I think they're very important, and it's wonderful to see how they work around, but I realized as I got into this talk that there's one thing I've been forgetting, and that's the fun that goes into brewing beer. And all of us have a hell of a lot of fun doing what we do. These guys, and we get, uh, really? Damn. He, well, okay, well, Dan is further advanced than I am because he's figured out how to get paid for it. There's a lot of fun that goes into what we do. There's a lot of fun that goes into the fact that we get to hang out with all of you guys and talk about what we do. Thank you all very much for coming out, making Savor part of the American beer lexicon that it is now. And thanks to all of our speakers tonight who did a great job of showing you the fun that is IPA. You're drinking it all tonight. It's party in John's hotel. What is, is it like 533, John? Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2014, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2014, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.